0: Well, good morning. Good to see each of you. I think our desire here as elders is whether there's five of us gathered in the name of the Lord, or 500, or 5,000, that it is a place where people can find love and truth, spirit and truth. Um, no matter who they bump into here, that they would have a sense of Jesus Christ when they're here and when they leave. Open your scriptures to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at a continuing story really of Christmas and how it is the story of one amazing miracle surrounded by several fulfilled prophecies and miracles, and it's all intended to highlight the particular birth of a promised son. That's what this season does. It reminds us that the eternal Son became something he wasn't. He became human. And he became human so that he could walk here, tabernacle among us, and seek and save the lost. Luke records in Luke 3.23. I've asked you to open to Luke chapter 1. But Luke actually says this, that Jesus, when he began his ministry was about 30 years of age. But that doesn't mean that his birth was insignificant. The birth narratives of Matthew and Luke begin to tell the story of a promised deliverer, and they don't want you to miss the fact that he was sent in a womb of a young woman and was born as a baby. He had to grow in wisdom and stature and wait for 30 years to begin his public ministry. How does the Gospel of Luke begin? Well, Last week, it focused on two people. Do you remember their names? Real people in real history. One was a blameless, righteous, elderly man who served as a priest. His group was called up to serve in a very rare role. Some priests never got to do what Zechariah did. And he is in the temple serving God when the angel Gabriel appears. The announcement is that your wife... Is going to be pregnant with a boy. He's going to go before you in the spirit of Elijah. And do you remember his response? By the way, Zechariah was old. He had very little to lose. And he responded in disbelief. Here you have a religious man holding a religious office in a temple in Jerusalem, and he doubts God. As a matter of fact, the angel Gabriel, and uh, look at verse. 20 of chapter 1, this is what Gabriel says to him, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. God's going to keep his word anyway, regardless of our response. The second person that Zechariah is contrasted with As a young lady, she held no religious title. She's in a rural northern town, far from Jerusalem, seems possibly overlooked, insignificant. And by the way, she had a lot to lose from a cultural and societal standpoint. And yet Mary said this, look at verse 38. Let it be to me according to your word. She responded in faith. An incredible contrast look at verse 26 we are told that the angel gabriel was sent from god to a city of galilee that's up north named nazareth to a virgin that's an important detail for mary betrothed to a man whose name was joseph that's what she risked losing how is joseph going to understand what will joseph assume we all know what joseph's going to assume And yet God here, in in, in surrounding this particular birth of a particular son, has all these prophecies and miracles and angelic visitations happening. The emphasis here is on God's sovereign choice, not on human acceptability. Mary was not valedictorian of her class. She wasn't a child prodigy. And what Mary accepted was both blessing and difficulty. Joy and pain. As a matter of fact, Simeon told Mary this. We'll see this in a few weeks. In Luke chapter 2, verse 35, Simeon says, And a sword will pierce through your soul also. Deep pain. And yet she says, Let it be to me according to your word. Mary did not choose this, but she was chosen. The emphasis is also on Mary's response to God's words, through Gabriel, and it was a humble, believing response. So the first question this morning is, how do you respond to God's Word? How do you respond to His words given to you? And there are two universal responses, disbelieve or believe. Put yourself in the path of God's blessing through faith or disbelieve, and suffer some consequences as Zechariah did. That brings us and really segues right into our next part uh, where it also focuses on two people. One of them is the same character. Uh, One of them is now Elizabeth, and the other one is Mary. Two parts. Mary goes and finds Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. Elizabeth makes a confession about Mary's baby. And the second part of this section is Mary's hymn, also known as what in the Latin? Mary's Magnificat, her magnifying of the Lord. Two women, which is characteristic of Luke's writing, two women and two right-saving responses. So this is what we're going to look at, anticipating God's work with praise. And this is something not just tucked away in past history more than 2,000 years ago, but there is a second advent. There is a second coming, and we need to anticipate God's work with praise, just as these two women did. Look at verse 39. If you track with the points of a sermon, the first point is Elizabeth's confession. Verse 39, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Chapter 1 of Luke, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, who doesn't have a name yet, but what will he be named? John. By the way, the the friends and the family are going to say, you don't have anyone in your family named John. John. And they they remember this, they signed to Zechariah, what are they going to call him, and finally he, he finds this faith and obedience, and he says, John, and what happened? He was named John. No, he could speak again, right? He could actually, his, his tongue was untied, and he could praise the Lord. The baby, John, leaped in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Elizabeth! saying this to her cousin Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, here's the confession, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth repeats what we saw in that first contrast between Zechariah and Mary, and now Elizabeth herself repeats this, really the first beatitude of Luke's gospel. Blessed is she who believed the words of the Lord. Well, Mary learned from Gabriel that her cousin Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Elizabeth went and hid and for five months, it was not known. When Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, the baby leaps. And really, the idea here is John, as the ordained forerunner to the Messiah, to the Redeemer, is already pointing to Jesus, even in the womb. Elizabeth was chosen to give birth to a son, an unusual boy as well. As a matter of fact, listen to what Jesus says about John. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Gabriel said this baby would minister in the spirit of Elijah. Yet what does Elizabeth do? This is going to be a very important note for us. Elizabeth turned her praise and rejoicing not towards the unexpected promised child in her womb, but to whom? To the baby in Mary's womb. And makes this incredible confession. See, sometimes we credit Peter with making the first confession that Jesus is Lord. And upon that confession, Jesus will build his church. And though that is true, it's actually Elizabeth who says this, this is the mother of my Lord. There's a mysterious omission in the text. It never tells us how Elizabeth knew Mary was expecting this child. All these mysteries and miracles surrounding. Look at verse 42 again. And she, Elizabeth, exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Notice three things. In Elizabeth's confession or response, notice the absence of all jealousy in Elizabeth's heart. Just like her son would say in about 30 years Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. John had a great example in his mother. Elizabeth exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Second, notice the confession that this baby, this fetus in the womb of her cousin, is Lord. God in the womb of a young woman. Elizabeth says in 143, the mother of my Lord. Paul will say in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And after Thomas demands evidence, do you remember this? He says this, I will never believe, says this to the other disciples. Because he was overlooked, he was, by by the way, by design, not in the upper room when Jesus first appeared, and he looks at his co-workers, if you would, and he says, unless I see the nail prints in his hand and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas demands evidence. The beautiful thing is... Eight days later, which must have seemed like an eternity, eight days later, Jesus appears when Thomas is there, and without touching his hands or his side, he says this in John 20, 28, My Lord and my God. That's what Elizabeth is saying. The baby in your womb is my Lord, my Savior the third, notice the first beatitude, as we've already mentioned in Luke's account in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed, Mary, that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And that's a major theme in the first two chapters of Luke, that God does what He says. God keeps His promises, regardless of human response. But will we choose to be blessed by believing? Will we by faith place ourselves into the pathway of blessing as God is unfolding his work? Well, Elizabeth anticipated God's work through Mary's child with praise. And now let's turn our attention to Mary. Was it verse 36? Actually, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, now notice her confession, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is the Magnificat. To magnify. How do you magnify something? To magnify something is to make it big, right? But it's not like we're taking something small, like with a magnifying glass, or a microscope, and we're not taking something small and bringing it into our focus as though it's bigger than it is. What we do when we magnify God is we are taking something beyond comprehension, beyond our understanding, immense, and we're bringing it into the view so people can understand Him. It's more like the telescope that can look at Jupiter with its 95 moons, each with confirmed orbits as of 23rd October 2023. Did you even know Jupiter had 95 moons? Last I checked, seriously, this is true, because I I love astronomy and I love the planets and our solar system. The last time I checked, it had 10 moons. And one of them was called Io. And it's a constant storm. Do you know what magnifying God looks like? It looks like you not even knowing Jupiter is out there right now and bringing it into focus and saying, look at the size of that planet. And 95 moons, each with its own orbit, the incredible design, and you bring it into focus so that other people can marvel at that planet. Do you know that's what we do with God? When we magnify Him, we make Him big, We show him in his true worth to people in a world that is constantly trying to make him small. We magnify him amidst a world system that is trying to make him insignificant. We magnify truth over lies, love over cruel hate, kindness over mean-spirited bitterness, Poor communication over gossip and slander. This is how we magnify God. We believe His words and we trust Him. So what or who does Mary magnify? Look at verse 45 or 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. And it results in an emotion and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And why? What was the particular action of God? What is she praising God for? Look at verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Humility is the natural byproduct of understanding who God is. After a proper reflection on his attributes. By the way, that is what God is like, if you're wondering near to the brokenhearted, close to the lowly and humble. Even though He is holy and majestic and transcendent, He in a very real way moves towards those who are of a humble estate. Look at the second part of verse 48. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why is Mary called blessed? Or as Elizabeth said, Blessed among women. Well, she takes part in the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Matter of fact, the angel tells her this in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. Why else is she called blessed? Blessed. I think John Rutter captures it in his Candlelight Carol when he when he writes this nations proclaim him their lord and their savior but Mary will hold him and sing him to sleep I had this thought yesterday morning as I was working through this text when Mary went to heaven as a redeemed child of God she went to see her savior king who is also her son her real son. Blessed. Blessed among women. But there's also a beautiful reversal taking place. It was a woman who took of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, reached out to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and took the fruit. And now, in a gracious reversal, it is also a woman who gives birth to the Messiah, Redeemer, Savior. There's hope in these three women, Eve, Elizabeth, and Mary, each showing you a different angle or perspective of the Gospel. And there's hope. So Mary sings, look at verse 49, For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Holy, separate, distinct, without sin, but do you know God was holy even before sin entered the world? He is completely separate and unique. And this holy, transcendent, majestic God has done great things for a young woman like Mary. And then she adds us, look at this, look in verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation That means God's mercy reaches down into our place and time. God's mercy reaches down into our disappointments, into our shame. There's a beautiful picture. And like all art, all liturgical art, it can fall short and face scrutiny. But there's a picture of Mary, pregnant, reaching out to Eve. I don't know if you've seen this picture. And Eve has... You know, shorter clothing on, and she's bowing her head, and she still has the piece of fruit in her hand. There's a snake wrapped around her ankles that Mary has stepped on as she's pregnant, and she's reaching out and touching Eve. As if to say, you don't need to be ashamed at your nakedness anymore. You don't need to be ashamed by your sin anymore. For a redeemer has come. Beautiful picture. God's mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Listen to what Lamentations says. A book that is called Weepings. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. There may be a young person here who already has shame and regret and you're not even 18 years old yet. If you could just go back And undo it. The beautiful thing is, you don't have to. You can't. But there's the hope of forgiveness and cleansing because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so, Mary, here she has the Savior in her womb, and she says, His mercies are on all those who fear Him. Do you want God's mercy? then approach Him with reverence. It's there from generation to generation. Mary is blessed among women, yet it's important we don't blur the lines of worship. And I want you to understand this. This isn't, this isn't a callous, harsh rebuke. This is, this is an endeavor to hold truth high, Nehemiah 9.6 says this, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, he's the creator, the heavens of heaven with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven, even Gabriel, worships you. Don't blur the lines of worship. Revelation 15:4 Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Listen to what Gabriel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 32 and verse 35. He, your son, Mary, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him, to your son, the throne of his father David. He's going to be a king. And the angel answered her, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. There's an important distinction there. Um, About who our object of faith is, and therefore who our object of worship is. It's interesting that Mary employs language typical for someone whose only hope is salvation by God's grace. Mary needed Jesus, her son, as her savior, too, because Jesus said this in John 14:6: No one goes to the Father except through. except through who? Except through Him. That includes his mother. So Luke one forty seven, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Matthew includes a very interesting account of the Magi coming from the east and they're bringing gifts and they enter into the house and they see the child. There's a the mention of first importance, the child and his mother, and they bow down to whom? The child. And they give gifts to whom? To the child. This is all on purpose to highlight Mary has a unique blessing upon her. But she's not to be worshipped. Only the son, only the child. And Mary herself exalted God for his greatness. I love the passage in Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50. Uh, Listen Listen to the, the narrative. While Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister, and mother. It wasn't a rebuke against his family, but Jesus used this occasion to teach a truth about being rightly related to the Father through him. Even his own family needed Jesus as Savior. John 7, 5, as John's recording the events, it says, for not even his brothers believed in him. There was a point where his own brothers had to say, our sibling is the Son of God. Mark makes an interesting statement in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. His own family thought he was going crazy. By the way, they were influenced by the Pharisees who said he casts out demons by Who? by the prince of the demons. And it seems as though that false report by religious elites started to affect and infect the hearts of Jesus' own family. And in Mark 3, 31, it says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. So This is the culture where relatives normally sought to conceal other relatives' behavior that could bring shame to the whole family. They're there to try to kind of get him out of that area so these accusations would stop. you want to know what Jesus' response was? For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Submitting to God's will is what makes one Jesus' true brother, sister, or mother. One more occasion. In Luke eleven twenty-seven, 27, Scripture says, As he said these things, a woman in the crowd... So here's Jesus' teaching... It has this emotional effect upon a woman in the audience. As he taught these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you. Is that wrong, by the way, for her saying that? We see that in Luke chapter 1. Blessed are you among women. Throughout all generations, people are going to call you blessed. She says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. A woman genuinely struck by the power of Jesus' words sort of sings out this praise for Jesus' mother. And you know, Jesus doesn't criticize her. But listen to what he does say. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it which Mary did. That's what she's praised for in Luke chapter 1. Mary has a privileged, blessed position, but she is not to be worshipped because 1 Timothy 2, 5-6 says, there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. By the way, the very last mention of Mary that we find in scripture is in Acts 1:14 where we find Mary gathered and worshiping. It says this, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. That's worship. Together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now look back at her song of praise. Verse 46 My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The first part of this song is going to be familiar. She she praises God for selecting a humble girl. God is mighty and has done great things. He is merciful to those who fear Him. And then from generation to generation, but then comes this. And I want you to look at this. Look at verse 51. This is a hymn. He has shown strength with his arm. Okay, well, what does that look like? He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And now the way he ends it, Mary is saying God will keep his promises even if they seem delayed. But this is really interesting, that she brings out these features that don't seem to be fulfilled yet. Are the proud put down? Are the poor fed? So there's a a kind of predictive praise that is going on here as we anticipate the second coming of Christ that we also anticipate God's work with praise. God is going to do these things just like he fulfilled his promises to Abraham. And so keep turning our affections that way. And then look at verse 50. Because Mary is blessed also because she is the model and representative of, of what it is to experience God's grace and mercy. Mercy, by the way, means a loyal love. So what I want to do here, as we move towards our close, I'm going to read a psalm, selected verses, about God's chesed, his loyal, never-ending, unfailing love. And I want to bring whatever it is that Satan keeps accusing you of, or the shame, or the guilt, or the hurt, or the doubt, And I want want you to hear God's truth against that that accuses you. Because Mary is highlighting his never-ending faithful love. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As the Father shows compassion to His children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children from generation to generation. Do you think Mary was familiar with Psalm 103? And now she has the Savior in her womb and she's reminding you and me about the forgiveness and faithful love of God mercy to the undeserving, loyal love to those who are desperate. It's what caused Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and theologian who was executed by the Nazis, to say this of Mary's song. It is perhaps the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. The poor and oppressed have often identified with this song By the way, this song, the longest set of words spoken by a woman in the New Testament. And it has been a balm for the oppressed. The scene closes, I want you to see this, verse 56, with an almost mundane detail reminding us that life continues. Normal, ordinary life resumes in the midst of the spectacular, verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. She returned to real difficulty, suspicion, scandal, gossip that would follow her to her small rural town and stay with her for the rest of her life. But she wants us to know God always keeps his promises so we can anticipate his work with praise. I'm going to invite the music team forward, and I'm just going to make a few points of application. As we anticipate God's future and finished work with praise, We can rejoice with hope. We do not have to be a slave to our circumstances. We can, like Elizabeth, put away all comparison and jealousy and ambition that are a cancer to our soul. We can remember God's loyal love to the pious poor of heart. Whether we are older like Elizabeth or young like Mary... We can receive and believe God's words and let them direct the remaining days or years of our life. For this reason, Christ is truly the King, the Savior of the world. Verse 50, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Let's pray.